Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis, and a warm welcome to Hong Kong's top-rated business show, The Original Money Talk. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, you'll find all the links to your favourite podcast apps. And this program is also on Facebook. The page there is Peter Lewis Money Talk, and I'm also on Twitter at Money Talk R3. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. It's Wednesday, the 17th of May. In today's business and finance headlines, China's economic data for April, including retail sales, industrial production and fixed asset investments, broadly missed expectations, adding to concerns that the economic recovery is losing momentum following the relaxation of zero COVID restrictions. China's National Bureau of Statistics said the global environment is still complex and grim and domestic demand still looks insufficient. The economy's internal drive for rebound is still not strong, it said. China's youth unemployment rate for people in the population aged 16 to 24 jumped to a record high of 20.4%. Adding to the pressure, roughly 12 million more graduates will hit the job market in 2023. The rise in youth unemployment comes even after the number of working people fell by more than 41 million over the past three years. President Joe Biden hosted top congressional leaders on Tuesday for debt ceiling talks. After his meeting with the president, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said negotiators discussing the conditions for raising the debt limit are far apart, while acknowledging that an agreement is still possible. On today's programme, I'm joined by Capital Preservation Specialist for Individuals, Enzio von Farl, and Louisa Fock, China Equity Strategist at Bank of Singapore. And with a view from Japan is Nick Smith, Japan Strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. On Wall Street Tuesday, US stocks declined following a lacklustre forecast from Home Depot and also over debt ceiling concerns. The S&P 500 fell 0.6% to 4,110. The Dow dropped 336 points, or 1%, to 33,012, closing below its 50-day moving average for the first time since March the 30th. The Nasdaq Composite declined 0.2% to 12,343. Stocks hit their session lows when House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said after his meeting with President Joe Biden that negotiations discussing the debt ceiling are still far apart. U.S. home improvement retailer Home Depot warned that profits this this quarter will fall below its expectations, citing broad-based pressure across the business. Shares of Dow member Home Depot closed 2.2% lower. And J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said on Tuesday that the regional banking crisis in which several U.S. lenders have collapsed is nearly over. He said at his bank's annual meeting, I think it will be through this shortly. Most of these regional banks are stronger than people think. And he said it was unlikely that JP Morgan would acquire another failing bank. Despite those comments, the KBW Regional Banking Index fell almost 2%. In Japan, the Topics Index climbed 0.6% and hit its highest level since August 1990. That's 33 years ago. The Topics has climbed more than 12% this year. The Nikkei 225 rose 0.7% and it's Asia's best performing major benchmark for 2023 with gains of almost 15%. Overseas traders bought a net $22 billion worth of Japanese stocks and futures in April amid record levels of inflows. 
Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index climbed just seven points to 19,978, recovering from losses of 1.4% earlier in the session. The tech index rose 0.8%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composites was down 0.6% at 3,291. And Shenzhen stocks have lost most of the gains seen this year. The Shenzhen Component Index was down 0.7% taking its losses to 5.4% quarter to date and down by almost 9% from its 2023 peak hit on the 1st of February. And futures markets are pointing to opening losses for Hong Kong stocks with the Hang Seng Index projected to start the day 0.9% lower. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests. We have our regular uh, Wednesday morning commentator, Enzio von Fahl, who is a personal um, capital preservation specialist for individuals. Very good morning to you, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Louisa Falk, who is China Equity Strategist at Bank of Singapore. Morning, Louisa. Morning, Peter. And let's start then with that China data, economic data for April, broadly missed expectations, adding to concerns that the economic recovery is losing momentum following the relaxation of zero COVID restrictions. China's National Bureau of Statistics said the global environment is still complex and grim and domestic demand still looks insufficient. And it said the economy's internal drive for rebound is still not strong. Um, Enzio, before we sort of dig in uh, to all the details about the individual retail, retail sales, industrial production data, what was your overall um, sense of, of how the economy is looking, particularly taking into account um, the China National Bureau of Statistics rather downbeat statement? Well, I'd rather disagree. Being a contrarian, I believe in what Warren Buffett said, that when the fearful get greedy, the greedy should get fearful and the opposite. So I think that when the market back in January was full of Lazarus beams, in other words, China was recovering from the COVID and it was all going to be tickety-boo, they're still in that mode. Witness their market expectations being so way above the realities. Retail sales expectation, 21%. Industrial production um, expectation, 11%. But then the actual data itself themselves they're actually, relative to their recent histories, have been very positive. So I think that China's economic time, contrary to the market, actually continues a slow burn improvement. Um, Let me uh, play devil's advocate a little bit there. Maybe the concern is that what we're doing is we're comparing year-on-year numbers when last year things were very bad. Um, you know, we had the lockdown in Shanghai, okay. a lot of the country in lockdown. So it's very hard to do year on year numbers. But when you look yes. at the month to month numbers, they're clearly decelerating, aren't they? Um, the month to month numbers don't look so good. I think you're right. You've also got a whole bunch of seasonal muck-ups in those month to month and random and cyclical variations. So um, I, I, I wouldn't I'm not saying it's all looking wonderful. I'm just saying I'm just suggesting that your point notwithstanding, Peter, that maybe things aren't quite as, they're not as fantastic as people thought, and those fantastic expectations are yet again reflected in the market expectations, but they're also not as bad as people are thinking, um, because, again, compared to these, I will agree, shonky histories, at least things seem to be getting some kind of steady uptake. 
Louisa, what are your thoughts overall, first of all, on the, on the total set of data, data that we've had and where you think the economic recovery is? Uh, thank you, Peter. Um, I think it just highlights uh, what we call an uneven recovery path. Um, yes, the overall data missed the uh, street expectation, but if you dive into the details, um, we'll see that uh, it's simply following the trend that mass market consumption is doing well, luxury ends is doing well, for instance, like jewelry mm. sales, uh, restaurant sales, uh, all the others are kind of lagging behind. And this is uh, pretty consistent with what we have seen before this set of data, for instance, like some of the discretionary spending, like tourism, travel, uh, some of the mass market, really mass and market spending are still holding up well. Um, so that's point number one. Uh, point number two is if you look at some of the uh, export data, uh, again, um, autos uh, and uh, NEV or industrial production data, that's also uh, supported uh, perform well. Uh, others are lagging behind. So that's reiterate my point that is an uneven recovery. So what needs to be doing is if you, if we follow um, the government, for instance, the April Polybro meeting, the first quarter PBOC monetary report, um, they seems to be calling for a more target uh, support. Um, for instance, some of the consumer stimulus, auto subsidies, home appliance subsidies that have been discussed for quite a long time. Um, secondly, recently, many of the Chinese banks have been guiding down the deposit rate. So there could a paving or put supporting a potential adjustment in the loan prime rate, a modest mm. one, um, to, to support that. That, that could also be possible. But nevertheless, um, it's been, uh, we, we've been argued that, um, massive uh, broad-based of um, easing is probably still not on the radar screen, but definitely more target easing to stimulate the demand is, uh, is, is uh, what the market and what we are looking for. I suppose investors' expectations are important, aren't they? And this is all about expectation. Is it good enough to meet with expect, uh, investors' expectations, do you think, and, and market expectations? Um, I think there's two phases. First of all, the reopening um, definitely has caught many investors by surprise and many have not participated in the market rally since fourth quarter last year. Uh, we are probably past the first phase of this um, uh, reopening phase. And the second one is probably a more broadened consumption recovery. And that is a function of a couple of things, consumer sentiment, uh, uh, employment, uh, that sort of things. And where do we go from here? Because the problem is, Louisa, if you look at the PMIs, the, the Kaishin PMI, the National Bureau of Statistics PMI, um, they're down, aren't they? So they're showing that maybe we should be looking at some further deterioration. Um, yes, like what I uh, just mentioned, I think uh, the market and us are looking for more target uh, support. And I think uh, the May data, given that the robust uh, uh, response from the consumption data, uh, when you, we look at some of the Labor Day holiday data, um, not a year-on-year comparison, but a more meaningful comparison is with the 2019, i.e. pre-COVID level. Many of those not just return to the 2019, but surpass 
pluses to that as well. And yeah, we've, we've seen the PMI data um, going forward. What should we look for? Because when you bear in mind, China hasn't raised interest rates like the rest of the world in over nine months. It floods the system with cash every month, also unlike almost every country on Earth. So it, it seems to provide all this bottomless liquidity, but yet it's not offering a lot of stimulation to the economy, is it? Well, it's isn't it isn't i actually am, am having been quite contrary in the whole way through i at the start of the year when everybody was jumping up and down saying this is a wonderful recovery i warned um our listeners that lazarus in other words the rebound from the dead was not there that it would be a slow uneven recovery i believe as louise has also been suggesting in the market and i still stick with that there's a slow burn economic time that's that's improving in China, the the last month's numbers, the April numbers, on the face of it, are not bad. Retail sales up 18%, industrial production up 6% versus their more recent histories. Um, but, of course, they're way down on expectations, and that tells me that the ex- expectations were far too gushy, far too ebullient. So I'm of the view that, the, that this, it's a slow burn recovery, and that it has to continue because China has a Beijing has a political mandate to create prosperity for its people. So, Louisa, how is it going to do that? Because we've got low interest rates, haven't we, on the mainland? We've got um, a lot of stimulus going on, but nevertheless, it, it's the the risk is that this could all run out of steam, isn't it? If um, the consumer doesn't start spending soon, and if uh, we don't see this big uh, rebound in domestic consumption, the, the whole thing could sort of just completely run out of steam. Um, I, th- um, I, th- I think a th- couple of things that um, that worth mentioning. Uh, first of all, uh, like what like what um, uh, Angel mentioned, the second uh, stage of the recovery will slightly to take a little bit more of time because um, a lot of the uh, consumption has been front loaded after the reopening. Now the focus will be on the consumer sentiment, um, employment um, outlook, and also uh, private market uh, investment. Um, I do believe that the government is going to do more target easing on the back of this. Um, again, like a potential adjustment to the loan prime rate is uh, going to help to support some of the fund from a funding cost perspective for the private enterprise. Um, secondly, consumption stimulus or subsidies that has been used before and could potentially to be uh, using uh, in a more target way as well. Uh, thirdly, uh, support or, or invite a private enterprise drawing foreign capital. Uh, all these along are putting together uh, to improve the overall consumer sentiment and also job creations, especially um, the, the service and the goods sector as well. So, Enzio, do you agree? Do you think uh, we need more stimulus? I think we need more structural changes. I think that on the unemployment side, which is a bit of a nasty, especially with youth unemployment being very high, I think that it sounds to me like an educator that the supply of education needs to get more in kilter with the demand for what is needed in the market. And I sense, as everywhere in the Western world also, a great supply demand imbalance here and i think that one way to unlock that would be just to improve more vocational training if if people in china own more cars more cars need to be repaired it's kind of simple Mm. who's going to repair the cars not a phd from beijing university i can tell you that 
So, Louisa, it does look like we need more long-term investments, isn't it, in areas like technology, new energy. Otherwise, this economic growth isn't going to last very long. Um, I think um, this I has, think been, highlighted has been, highlighted been highlighted as one of the strategic focuses. Um, for instance, technology upgrade, industrial, and also digital China. Uh, but before all this, if you recall, before um, all this regulatory guidance and also COVID, who or what are the uh, sectors that um, have provide more jobs? Uh, that will be the services sector, the internet, and the platform. Um, to some extent, real estate related. Um, to sum it all up, they are all services related and private enterprises related. So I think that has we have started to see some of the responses from the policymaker in a sense that they have highlighted the importance of private enterprise, foreign capital, and more and more signs of the um, internet and platform place regulatory uh, uh, guidance or, or headwinds are coming to an end with more normalizations uh, in terms of operating environment. The, the problem is though, in investment has slowed, hasn't it? It slowed to about 4 trillion yuan in April for more than 5.3 trillion yuan in March. Um, and private investment, investment from private companies, um, <clears throat> only grew 0.4% uh, year on year. Most of the investment seems to be coming from state-owned enterprises. It seems to me that's also a problem as well, isn't it? That private companies don't seem to be as optimistic about investment prospects in China as maybe state-owned companies. Um if if we look at the FAI uh, categories, uh, definitely the infrastructure, which is definitely most likely state-owned enterprise-led uh, and manufacturing, are really running ahead of the real estate. The real estate hasn't really shown much signs of recovery. So uh, I think the next leg to watch is we definitely continue to expect infrastructure to continue uh, to lead the game as we have seen that it has been always used as a counter-cyclical driver. Uh, uh, manufacturing, uh, we see some positive signs from the industrial production from, for instance, like what I've mentioned, auto and NEV, that kind of uh, subcategory. But all the other are still lagging behind. So it will take stages. And therefore, what we've argued is it's more likely to be a target uh, easing or target support likely. And has this investment got to come from the central government? Because local governments, they can't do much at the moment, can they? Because they're not getting enough revenues from, from land sales. So it seems the onus is falling on the central government. Um, I would say it's a combination of both because especially when we look at like uh, consumption subsidies, aside from autos that we have seen is more like a top-down central government-led sort of campaign, mm. uh, many other uh, consumption subsidies that could potentially uh, be done at the local uh, market or local cities level or at um, enterprise or corporate levels, yeah. Enzio, where do we stand on the pri on the uh, on the housing market? Um, the, the high frequency data suggests there has been a recovery, but maybe that's also running out of steam as well, and that recovery might be short lived. Not a property expert, as you know, but I think that just broadly, the the whole mess around the big corporate developers, their over leveraging, is going to stay here for some time, and so I'm not particularly optimistic on that. And again, it, it really boils down at the end of the day to income, income, income expectations. Mm. And if people don't see wages coming in, job security on the rise, then they will stop spending, it's particularly in, in a more feminine society, which is run by the feminine in China, I believe, which is great, whether people are just a little <laughs> bit more careful about spending their money. Yeah, but so... It 
it, it yeah. does seem that people don't want to take out mortgages at the moment, which really fits in with what you're with what you're saying there. People are being uh, very cautious at the moment. Absolutely, and again, I, I I believe that that's the I, I respectfully disagree a little bit with Louisa because I think that the infrastructure spending there are only so many roads and bridges that you can build, um, and I wish that they would do more on the consumption side. Remember that consumption is only thirty one percent of GDP in China, whilst in on average in the developed world it's actually about seventy five percent or two thirds to seventy five percent. So um, there's a long way for China to go on domestic consumption but that all depends on job creation and that depends on education i'm afraid louisa let me ask you about this youth unemployment date the latest data showed a 20.4 percent 20.4 percent youth jobless rate so that's now a record high uh, for people aged between the ages of 16 to 24 how big a problem is this because it seems to me that if younger people aren't able to get jobs don't have income security um, it's going to be hard for this consumption recovery to continue um, I think it's a combination of uh, both in terms of uh, private market participation. If we look at in the past, uh, the private sector, especially the services sector, like internet, real estate, education, starts up all these, has um, provide a lot of job opportunities. So um, uh, signs of operating environment normalization for all these internet and platform companies uh, would definitely help stabilizing uh, the job uh, slashes that we have. I've seen in the past uh, 12 to 18 months or so. Um, that's first one. Um, secondly, I think every year at the uh, National People Congress, a new job creation has been put together alongside with, for instance, like GDP growth, CPI. So that's definitely uh, been on the top policy uh, agenda uh, on the policymaker. Um, how to work around that, obviously, is not an easy question, but we do believe that um, they are definitely uh, on the radar screen of the policymaker. NGO, how big a problem is this? And it's going to get worse, isn't it? Because we've got another, uh, what is it, 12 million more graduates hitting the jobs market this year. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to be controversial. I'm afraid that being a von Hayek remnant, I'm afraid that as long as the government continues saying that it knows what the market wants and tries to outsmart it's like a fund manager trying to outguess where the market is headed. You sim- it is simply physically impossible to do that, even with AI, to mm. guess where the, what the market needs. I'm afraid that's a very fundamental issue that needs addressing. Um, we know that the multinationals in China have had a tough time, particularly those consumer companies like Estee Lauder and, and things that we reported on last week. Um, but I do think it's this dirigisme which is going to also, it's, it's going to just slow down the, the enthusiasm of the private sector in China, which, which Beijing cannot want because, as Louisa was saying, they need to create employment. Mm. So are there too many graduates is one of the problems that too many people are, are going to university? It's a little bit like what Tony Blair did in the UK, which was just everybody goes to university, so nobody can repair the cars, nobody can repair the houses, but we can also all theorize about money supply growth. Mm. And I think that's what needs, that's really needs massive changing anywhere in the world, including Hong Kong. Tell me what, training. 
Tell me what this means for the global picture, because um, if the economy is is slowing in China, it seems to be stalling in uh, in Germany. We've seen data that suggests the US, um, although it's quite resilient, nevertheless, headwinds are building um, there as well. We saw that in the US retail sales and industrial production figures. I presume this is not good for the global economy. Stagflation. I just believe that whether it's a recession or a very slow burn growth, which is my view worldwide, very, very, very sticky growth with sticky inflation. You're going to find a lot of social unrest going forward, a lot of a rightist swing politically worldwide because we've gone a little bit too liberal, perhaps, especially with U.S. gun laws and all that. But I think that the ultimate thing is that we're not going to be in for this age of prosperity. I know that AI is saying that productivity will go through the roof. Well, that ain't going to happen this coming year because the companies have overhired and now they have to overfire. It's, it's a typical cycle. Do you see stagflation, Louisa? Um, I think the, the key is um, the growth um, I think across the board is still uneven. I think it, this is a situation that uh, not just in China, but probably across uh, many countries. Uh, inflation uh, on the U.S., um, I think there a lot of the component are actually coming from the housing to a very large extent. Uh, we have seen some softness or moderation from the energy prices and so on and so forth. So the next key things to watch is like how the housing and rentals, if we see signs of peaking out, um, that would be positive. But it could probably take a bit of time. Put this together, Louisa, for, for investments and for the markets, then we've got um, a, a rebound going on in China, but as you say, uneven and also um, seems to be slowing when you look at the month-on-month figures. Um, what does this mean in terms of markets perception, market sentiment and, and where you ought to be looking? Um, I think market performance has been affected by uh, uh, two major things. Uh, first of all, is the geopolitical uh, tensions that have resurfaced again. That's um, actually mixed evaluation, i.e., in terms of uh, price-to-earnings multiples compressed, and now China is trading still at a large discount to the emerging market, which is at about eleven to twelve percent, which is definitely on the twelve uh, mm-hmm. level. Um, so we do see that a lot of uh, these concern. Uh, regarding the tension has been baked in in the market valuations. Um, secondly, um, the, the weak macro data or, or below the street expectation macro data that we have just discussed alongside. And I think now is probably a more bottom up. If you look at China markets, uh, that's basically offshore market. Our key components are the internet and platform place. That's take up one third. Um, we are going to see quite a number of companies start reporting their results. Some have started already so um the how how the margin are sustainable what's the outlook guidance would be will be important on that secondly financials financials by default will be uh many of the banks uh mm-hmm. they have been supported by um obviously very uh, attractive dividend yield uh, as a sector the chinese mm-hmm. bank are offering like eight percent with uh, even after the recent rally dividend uh yield and they all paid out once in a year. But I think uh, be mindful of the ex-dividend date that usually will be at the end of June and to early July. Uh, whether that could have further uh, 
potential upsides. I think it uh, depends on uh, the hidden non-performing loans issues, how much uh, that the market will be accepting. But in the near term, we do see uh, the anything with stable cash flow, uh, high dividend yield will be uh, offer a cushion in the volatile market. And this seems to be state-owned enterprises, which is why there's this focus on, on SOEs, because they, they, the perception is they're cheap. I mean, banks trade on what, about 0.6 times book values, but they've always been cheap, haven't they? That's the thing. Um, many of them have been cheap, like like what you've mentioned, Peter. So I think the the catalyst will be, first of all, um, how the ROE uh, recovery story, we all know that as not a uh, fast and quick uh, things that will happen. It will happen over time. And whether share price could potentially over uh, running ahead of the steam, uh, that could possible. So that's why we always say that we do not chase the rally, but we will prefer to accumulate on the upside. And among all the other subsectors uh, on the back of the pullback, uh, the telcos is still, uh, I think, enjoy the both worlds, mm-hmm. i.e. in terms of the dividend and also um, the recent push in terms of getting uh, into the data centers uh, digital digital China, that sort of uh, initiatives. Enzio, final word to you then. Um, a, a big push for state-owned enterprises at the moment going on uh, because of dividend yields, sort of stable earnings, uh, cheapness. Is that something that you would endorse? Yes, because that's what the government seems to want. But I, and I would just in a broad sense to, to paraphrase Warren Buffett, say that one should start getting greedy when others are fearful um, if everybody's saying the market, the China is really going to pot, I think quite the opposite. There's a very strong political mandate to keep the place chugging along. And um, I'm actually, I think that the economic time there doesn't look as bad as, as people think. It's excess supply of money and excess supply of goods at present, but morphing into an excess demand for goods within about nine months. Okay, well, thank you both very much. You heard their capital preservation specialist for individuals, Enzio von Fahl, and also Louisa Fock, who is China equity strategist at Bank of Singapore. Japan's topics climbed 0.4% and hit its highest level since August 1990. The topics has climbed more than 12% this year, and the Nikkei 225 is Asia's best performing major benchmark for 2023, uh, with gains of uh, 15% so far this year. Joining me now from Tokyo is Japan strategist at CLSA, Nick Smith. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Jim. So is this um, connected in any way to Warren Buffett since he started talking about Japanese stocks? When was it? One or two months ago. And he revealed that stake in the Japanese trading houses. Have foreigners now started to follow suit? Well, I think it's uh, it certainly helped. I, mean, I, th- I think if you look... Um, Look at Japan in terms of a price to ten year average um, earnings, the uh, the Shiller um, uh, price earnings. Then mm. earnings were so low in the nineteen nineties; it was up at one hundred and ninety times. That's that's a good deal higher than even the US now at thirty. Um, and then earnings started to pick up, and we finally got to a point where we're now at uh, twenty times. Um, so um, a third cheaper than the US on on that measure. So. It's an amazing chart because what it says to you is for years, earnings were going up and um, they didn't push the market up because the uh, the valuations were still very high. And then suddenly, uh, after the global financial crisis, the, um, the the clutches engaged and improvements in, in profits pick up um, pick up share prices. And so the U.S. has got to uh, fairly nosebleed valuations. Um, the um, 
Europe's had a had a decent move. Money's uh, looks like it's coming out of uh, of China, and that's brought attention to Japan. But of course, uh, Buffett going and uh, and buying positions in the uh, the trading companies. I mean, he's had those for a while, but he was in Japan recently and saying, "I'll be buying more," um, which I think is a, a very good sign for her, for people that they've got to spend some time on the market. It seems that there's a confluence of good news all coming together at the same time for Japan, or maybe it has been there for a while, but people are only just starting to, to look at it. The fact, as you mentioned, that earnings are good, the markets are cheap. We have a very dovish uh, Bank of Japan at the moment as well, keeping interest rates lower than everywhere else in the world, and, and no sign of a recession, unlike in the US um, and Europe. It, it just seems to all look good for Japan at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it does have a, a certain amount in common with um, the beginning of the uh, the Abe years in that um, uh, Japan was uh, late in, um, in stimulus measures after the, the global financial crisis, and that, that helped um, Abe at the beginning of his time. This time, Japan's, um, through no fault of its own, been late with... Um, with, with um, unwinding from uh, from COVID measures, mm. uh, and that means other places are running out of puff, and Japan's just starting to get that. And numbers we'll be getting out later today for the um, the tourist arrivals. I mean, I have people um, ribbing me saying, "What Japan's um, Japan's a tourist nation of the world?" Yeah, it's um, it took decades to get to her to where it is, and it's uh, returning there in. Um, returning to 2019 levels in, in a period of just a few months. So, yes, tourism is... Uh, uh very large indeed in, in helping to, uh, to lift conditions. I mean, that chimes with what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing so many people in Hong Kong uh, taking holidays in Japan. They're saying that's the place they want to go. Obviously, the cheap yen um, helps as well in terms of uh, you know their spending power. But it does seem to be, certainly from Hong Kong pe- people's perspective, Japan is the place to go right now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not just that the, uh, the yen is weak. Obviously, Japan's a place that hasn't seen inflation since since the time of the dinosaurs. So um, um, that makes it, in, in real effective exchange rate uh, terms, uh, an absolutely fantastic place to, uh, to be doing your shopping. Mm. And we've got the GDP data coming out, I think it's later today, isn't it? Economically, um, are you expecting it to be, to be an outperformer now compared to the US and Europe? Well, I'm more interested in, uh, in equities than um, than the uh, um, soap opera that is um, that is GDP. But I think uh, consumption is starting to come back. I mean, it, it zigs and zags from uh, month to month. It's consumption's coming back as as people are out, able to meet uh, other human beings and start to take off these plastic masks. Um, Generally, I think things are starting to pick up. But what's so different from previous recoveries is in previous recoveries, you watched your uh, manufacturing PMI. This time, it's very much the, um, the service mm. PMI. And the mm. service PMI is the, uh, the highest in record in, on record in Japan. So we definitely have the, um, the service sector and, uh, and consumption as the, uh, the front and center at the moment. How much are the structural changes that are going on um, in the market also helping? Because there is this push, isn't there, by by corporates to increase buybacks, focus more on um, investment returns. Is that starting to now also pay dividends in terms of the market performance and attracting foreign investors? Well, it certainly um, brings attention to um, the... uh, 
the potential improvements of the market. So obviously, uh, corporate Japan is absolutely awash with cash. Mm. Um, they were starting to do something about that. And then we went into the, uh, uh, the pandemic and the, um, uh, the activists kind of gave them a pass on it. Um, mm. And so it's coming back now and saying <laughs> about that um, balance sheet of yours. So that's combined with the um, the stock exchange, which made an announcement at the start of the year that uh, that said um, company, particularly companies um, trading below book, and that's about fifty three percent of the the market at the moment. You will produce an improvement plan to show how you can get back uh, above book. Um, my initial thoughts on that was. Uh, fairly cynical and, until one of my spies said to me, um, I, I wouldn't if I were you. Um, naming and shaming is very powerful in Japan. And that's been the case. So only days after that announcement, um, Citizen, for example, did, uh, bought back 26% of its shares and in its an announcement um, quoted the uh, the exchange's moves as, uh, as a major reason behind that. So uh, that's certainly um, bringing attention to the vast improvements that could be made if, if companies would pay just a little bit more attention to um, uh, non-equity. Mm. I mean, the one that stood out for me, partly because it's one of Warren Buffett's favourite companies, Mitsubishi Core, it said it's going to buy back $2.2 billion of its uh, stock last week. These are um, attracting attention now, these, these buybacks. They certainly are. I mean, obviously, um, May of last year was very large indeed, so... Um, so uh, we're about, uh, you know, a bit behind the levels of, uh, of May last year in um, in this month. But certainly the uh, the buybacks are pretty chunky. And unlike other uh, markets we could mention, of course, you ain't seen nothing yet that um, that Japanese companies, you know, forty percent of uh, of topics non financials of net cash and over twenty percent of equity. There is no good excuse for sitting on on that much cash. Um, uh, and so um, shareholders want to see something of it, and the uh, the exchange uh, is is uh, putting pressure on them. But it's doing that because it's got the um, uh, the mandarins, the uh, the bureaucrats uh, behind them, saying let's get this uh, this dealt with. And that that in turn is because um, the prime minister is saying he wants to uh, to get more money into the market, and he's changing uh, NISA, the uh, the tax exempt uh, investment schemes. Uh, from next year to try and get um, uh, retail investors into the market too. Let me ask you specifically about the financials because they're also rallying. We've seen some good results, haven't we, from some of the Japanese banks, in fact, making net record, uh, record net profits uh, in the last quarter and providing quite good guidance uh, sort of going forward as well. Is that a sector uh, that you favour? I think it's quite interesting. So, um to be able to get uh, record profits out of Japanese banks when the uh, the BOJ is going out of its way to uh, uh, to damage their uh, their working environment, but then you look forward and say, well, the BOJ won't be doing this forever. One hopes. Mm. Um, I actually think that you curve control will be uh, disappearing around the uh, the mid year. Um, some people offshore are now getting more conservative, but uh, it looks logical to me to be getting rid of that so i think the uh, the banks could be uh, quite interesting and obviously they're on uh, uh, absolutely rock bottom valuations and are there any other sectors then that if you know if you do the screening and you apply these criteria of low valuations good earnings maybe share buybacks are going on good dividend yields are there any other sectors that particularly stand out at the moment in japan 
Well, I mean, the vast majority of, uh, of corporate Japan is, is absolutely dirt cheap. Um, I, I think um, even after their moves, the, um, uh, the trading companies uh, produce very good returns. There's, um, there's more that we can hope out of them, um, and not all of them are uh, a commodity plays. Hmm. Um, I, I, I've actually had some, some good returns out of, out of auto, saying I think people are, are being too, uh, too negative on them. Uh, but generally, I think now's the time for, uh, for being reasonably conservative and, uh, and trying to get things that pay a decent dividend, a domestic, and, uh, um, and don't have too large um, return on equity volatility. Now, finally, Nick, let me ask you about the, the weekend, because obviously Japan is going to be in focus with the G7 Leaders Summit going on in Hiroshima. President Biden is going to be there along with the other uh, six leaders. Is there anything we should be looking at from this, from an investor perspective that may be important, that could potentially move markets such as, I don't know, maybe global supply chains, that type of thing? Well, I think the uh, the very fact that it's in Hiroshima is um, is uh, uh, Kishida, who was the uh, the longest serving um, foreign minister, trying to um, emphasise his credentials as a uh, as a lover of peace. Peace. Um, so, for all that Japan is increasing its spending on um, on defence, it's also saying we don't really don't want another uh, war, and particularly uh, not in this region. And, and so he's making efforts to try and encourage parts of, uh, of Europe who haven't really been uh, doing very much, even dealing with Ukraine, to, uh, uh, to um, give support on, on subjects such as um, the, the Taiwan Straits issue. Uh, but yes, supply chains will be uh, very important in, uh, in all of that. Nick, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Nick Smith, who is Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more business and finance information from around Asia in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back tomorrow, and I'm going to be joined on the show by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Michelle Lam, Greater China Economist at Society Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. With a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Sapro Group. Have a great day. Money Talk 